And now, your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day, one can hope, uh, despite some of the alarming news from abroad and from right here at home. The worst uh, mass shooting of the year, at least 18 dead in Lewiston, Maine. And what's most disturbing, of course, is that the shooter is still at large. And he is somebody who has had very serious mental health problems this year. He's an Army reservist, 40 years old. His name is Robert Card. Again, there are some 350 law enforcement officials in the state of Maine who are looking for him and trying to apprehend him because there are 50,000 people who are in lockdown who are worried about a, a guy who's armed and dangerous. Someone who apparently was a firearms instructor. And one of the things that's terrible, I've heard on the air now twice, that because he was so proficient in using guns and knew so much about guns that he used his AR-15 style weapon successfully. And when you use the term successfully for killing 18 civilians at a bowling alley and at a bar and grill in Lewiston, Maine. It's a just bizarre. We will get to that issue and also get to potential felony charges against a Democratic member of the Congress of the United States because of deliberately setting off a firearm, uh, fire alarm, not a firearm. Uh, but uh, we will be talking with Andy McCarthy about that and about some of the uh, felonies and misdemeanors that are being uh, dealt with regarding uh, President Trump and uh, also the very controversial uh, gag orders that he has violated now twice, for most recently for another $10,000 fine to be added to a previous $5,000 fine. What's all the meaning of this legally? Where does it go? Uh, and what is the political impact, if any, uh, other than rallying people more than ever to President Trump's support? We will get to that as well on the Michael Medved Show. Most seriously, uh, we have a warning today from the foreign minister of Iran, whose name is Hossein uh, Mirab Dolohian. Uh, I am not sure how to pronounce it, frankly, but the foreign minister of Iran warned at the United Nations today that if Israel's retaliation against the killers in Hamas in the Gaza Strip uh, doesn't end, then, quote, the United States will not be spared from this fire. I say, frankly, to the American statesmen who are now managing the genocide in Palestine, that we do not welcome an expansion of the war in the region, but if the genocide in Gaza continues, said the Iranian foreign minister, they will not be spared from this tough fire. This is what he told a meeting of the 193-nation General Assembly, a meeting on the Middle East. Uh, it also turns out that some two dozen service members were wounded in drone and rocket attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria last week. The U.S. Central Command confirmed Wednesday uh, 20 American personnel, 
sustained minor injuries from multiple one-way attack drones launched against U.S. and coalition uh, forces at Al-Tanf garrison in Syria. This was back in October 18th. Now, this is very serious because uh, President Biden has pledged. Actually, it was not President Biden himself. It was his Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has pledged that if Iran is implicated, and this seems a fairly direct implication of Iran, that if they are implicated in doing violence to or damage to or injury to American troops, uh, they will pay an immediate price. It seems like a red line. You may remember that one of the great disasters of the Obama administration was President Obama issuing a red line to Syria concerning uh, the use of uh, poison gas, basically, as a weapon during their civil war. And it was very clear if this red line is crossed, the United States is going to get involved, we're going to take action. Nothing happened. And could that be a similar situation? Uh, it is a very serious problem. Uh, meanwhile, um, President Biden... It is reported in the Washington Post faces mounting pressure to strike Iranian proxies that have repeatedly attacked and injured U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria this month. So where is the red line and where is the administration action? We will be speaking about that with uh, Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the United States. And uh, he is uh, in Israel now monitoring the situation. Uh, reports in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere that uh, under United States urging, Israel has agreed to postpone, maybe indefinitely, uh, its uh, Israel's invasion of Gaza. Uh, talking about an invasion makes it sound as if it's a, an attempt to take something over. This is not that. This is an, a, basically a ground mission to destroy Hamas. But if uh, the U.S. has urged Israel to delay, why have they done that? Uh, what is that delay about? We'll talk about that and more with Michael Oren coming up. Um, meanwhile, there is this from a press conference up in Lewiston, Maine. Again, another front in uh, the reports of ongoing violence. Uh, this violence having claimed at least 18 dead with more injured. Uh, the press conference uh, that occurred earlier, just a couple of hours ago, uh, included Colonel William Ross, who talked about the police department getting information about the shooting. This is 13A. 6.56 p.m., the Auburn Communications Center received a 911 call of a male shooting in just-in-time or the spare-time um, recreation center uh, in the town of Lewiston, located at 24 Mollison Way in Lewiston. Shortly after that, at about 7.08 p.m., the communication center received multiple 911 calls about an active shooter inside of a Smenji's Billiards at 553 Lincoln Street in the town of Lewiston. A large law enforcement response from multiple surrounding agencies assisted the Lewiston Police Department 
in trying to identify uh, who this individual was and what was happening. As you can imagine, this was a very fast-paced, uh, fast-moving, very fluid scene, very dangerous scene that these guys and girls were going into. Okay, uh, he confirmed that at least 18 people are dead. And here's more breaking news. <laughs> I mean, this again has to do with yesterday, but it's just becoming known. Yesterday, an intruder was arrested uh, climbing a fence at the, resident, at the residence of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., candidate for president. Uh, protectors from the Gavin De Becker and Associates detected and detained the intruder who asked to see the candidate. The intruder was turned over to the LAPD. He was then released from police custody. The man immediately <laughs> returned to Kennedy's residence and was arrested again. The candidate was home at the time of both arrests. Now, given the fact that his father was killed by a crazed Palestinian uh, terrorist, and, and he was Sirhan Sirhan. Given the fact that his uncle was murdered, uh, I, I mean, I'm not a fan of RFK Jr., but for goodness sake, can't we do something to protect his home, to protect all of our homes from some of the dangers in the world? We're going to be talking about that with Michael Oren, live from Israel, coming up on The Medved Show. New news from Israel. The Associated Press is reporting that no, the uh, long-awaited uh, ground mission against Hamas by the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, that has not formally begun. But last night, Israeli troops and tanks raided northern Gaza overnight and uh, they engaged with Hamas, according to a military bulletin, and they uh, were targeting anti-tank weapons in order to prepare the battlefield before the expected ground incursion. The uh, third Israeli raid since the war began, began after more than two weeks of devastating airstrikes, says the Associated Press, that have left thousands dead and more than one million displaced from their homes in the small, densely populated territory. Uh, part of what is going on here has to do with a, 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 a war of messages. And uh, there's a terrific column by uh, Daniel Henninger in the Wall Street Journal asking the question, can Israel win the message war? And uh, it points out that today, omnipresent mass media and personal video make it impossible to be ignorant of atrocities of the sort that occurred in southern Israel. There is no excuse not to know the details. A striking summing up of all we have seen and heard was given on Fox News by an Israeli worker still recovering bodies. I'm a child of Holocaust survivor, she said, and I grew up hearing stories of the camps. I thought those were the worst stories. Uh, these stories are much worse. 
And part of what Henninger is saying is they they become much worse because we do know the details. We have actual tape that the Palestinians have uh, very, very proudly displayed that represents some kind of victory to them to be able to say that we burned babies alive, that we took off babies' heads, decapitated them, cut their heads off, and then mixed the heads up with the rest of the bodies to make it difficult to have any kind of proper burial for the children. It's unreal situation but uh, this is uh, this is one of the things that the world is dealing with and Michael Oren is certainly dealing with he is the former uh, Israeli ambassador to the United States a former member of Knesset member of the Israeli Parliament and he was a deputy minister in the Prime Minister's office for diplomacy uh, Michael uh, there's a headline in the Wall Street Journal today. It says Israel agrees to U.S. request to delay invasion of Gaza. Uh, do you um, uh, believe this is a, an indefinite delay or postponement or maybe even cancellation? Or is this simply still a matter of time? Or maybe the headline is designed for Hamas. <laughs> Just saying. Well, there it is in the Wall Street Journal. Just saying. Okay. It can't be It can't be an open-ended delay. We can't. We have 360,000 soldiers that have been called up. They've been waiting now into their third week. Okay. Starting on, on, on Saturday, it'll be three weeks that they're sitting on that border. These are young women, men who have left their homes, left their families, left their jobs. Including my nephews, can't keep them indefinitely. Yeah, can't keep them indefinitely. Just can't. It's causing, you know, immense damage to the economy. Um, the clocks are running out. The public opinion is turning against us because of the terrible pictures coming out of South Gaza, right? Now people are forgetting the atrocities of Hamas. Um, we have to operate soon. Uh, both the prime minister and defense minister in the last 24 hours have made statements saying that the incursion is imminent. I mean, I have my druthers, right? It's a word that can't be translated into Hebrew. If I had my druthers, I would say contain Hamas and Gaza because they can't run away and, and focus all our energies on Hezbollah, which is a much, much greater threat, much greater threat. And it may happen anyway. We may have to deal with Hezbollah at a later stage. But, you know, it's a matter of sequencing. But in any case, Israel has to act because we can't maintain this level of mobilization uh, for much longer. And uh, when you talk about this uh, ground uh, mission that uh, the whole world awaits, the purpose of that mission would be uh, what we've heard is to eliminate ha uh, Hamas, to, uh, to destroy them definitively. What exactly does that mean? I think it really removes removing Hamas for power uh, in Gaza, and that means ferreting them out, ferreting them out of a, a a vast warren of underground tunnels, bunkers, many of them under schools, under major hospitals, um, totally not just degrading but eliminating their their fighting force, their ability to fight, and then working with the international community, with the United States, perhaps with other other states, and putting into place in Gaza a, uh, a system of government that will ensure the pacification of the Gaza Strip. Um, again, druthers, there's that word. Um, and the druthers, the, the Gaza 
uh, would not be might no longer be an Israeli problem, be an international problem. They try to internationalize Gaza, uh, make sure that there is a very large and heavily mined um, no man's land between our border and Gaza border, um, shoring up our border defenses. All these things. You know, we cannot, Mike. We can't eliminate the idea of Hamas anymore. We can eliminate the idea of ISIS or Al Qaeda or Hezbollah. But we can degrade them. I mean, you get rid of Nazis. There are neo-Nazis in the world today, but they're a hell of a lot powerful because there's no Nazi Germany. Um, Same thing is true with ISIS and al-Qaeda. So we have to eliminate them the best we can and uh, hope that uh, civilization will somehow overpower the idea of Hamas and ISIS and and Hezbollah. That's not just an Israeli problem. That's a a problem of civilization. There's a, uh, speaking of problems of civilization, there is a new uh, bulletin uh, from a statement from the Al-Qassam brigades of Hamas that claims that uh, Israeli airstrikes killed approximately 50 Israeli hostages. Is this propaganda and lies, or do you think that this claim that there were Zionist prisoners killed in the Gaza Strip as a result of Zionist bombing and massacres reaching approximately 50 people. Do you think there's any substance to this? Well, I don't, I don't think that Hamas can be accused of uh, you know, veracity and verisimilitude, but uh, um, my fear would be not that, that they were, these 50s were killed by, uh, by an Israeli airstrike, but somehow they were killed by Hamas. And it's always, by the way, every time terrorists kill hostages, they always blame it on the Israeli Air Force. It's not the first time. Um, we had a, 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 a pilot, actually a navigator, went missing in the 1980s, Ron Arad. I was never found. Um, but the, uh, the Shiite terrorists who had him in, in Lebanon claimed he was killed by an Israeli airstrike. It, it's very old routine. Uh, uh, Michael, can you stay for a few minutes more to talk sure. about Uh, life after victory, God willing, and uh, after this war subsides. Uh, Speaking with one of the most eloquent and effective spokespeople for the state of Israel, the former ambassador to the U.S., Michael Oren, we will be right back on The Medved Show. minutes more with Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the United States, also a prolific author of wonderful books, books of history and books uh, that include a vision of the future, his most recent book, and uh, it has uh, elements that are in both English and Hebrew, is called The Rejuvenated State 2048. And uh, we will be talking in a moment about some of the rejuvenation that is possible and going on with uh, Israel. But but first of all, there was an item in the Jerusalem Post that uh, we mentioned yesterday. But uh, it, it is an item that suggests that a squad of female IDF combat troops, and they do have exclusively female units, uh, successfully eliminated, that means ended their lives, uh, nearly 100 Hamas terrorists. Uh, Michael, what's what's the story with 
female units uh, going into combat uh, ahead of uh, everybody else? It's, it's you know it, it's catching all the headlines here. It um, you know there's been a debate, and I've been involved in this debate in the Knesset, uh, the degree to which um, women soldiers uh, should be integrated in combat units. And sensitivity, you know, they're taking prisoner. Now they have a lot of you know, Hamas has among the hostages have, have women soldiers. Um, and the debate recently, just recently, the the, uh, the government decided to open up virtually every unit to the women who could try out, trying out for like the Navy SEALs, trying out for our Delta Force. Um, you got to carry a lot of weight. But there are units that are mixed, a unit called Karakal, which is men and men. There is the, there are the border police, which are women and men. And then there are all female tank crews. Now, tank crews are, are a difference because, you know, tank crews have to live in great intimacy. They do everything in the tanks. Uh, and so to put many women and men inside a tank is difficult. So you have entire women tank crews. And there was a question whether women could, you know, wield those huge sledgehammers you need to change the tread or even change the tread. Treads are very, very heavy. Uh, it turns out they can. And in this battle, it turns out in every battle, in every, in every um, skirmish or battle where the, the women were involved, they, they performed superbly, superbly. And uh, everyone is full of praise for them. So I think that sort of decides the debate. <laughs> yeah, well, again, if with this early indication of victory. Uh, by the way, Michael Oren uh, his, uh, has a piece under the heading Clarity. That is his substack on Israel, America, and the world. We're going to post it, link to it, and uh, you should be aware of it in addition to his book previously mentioned, 2048, about the first hundred years of uh, the Israeli state. Um, what about the uh, life after battle? Because at some point or another, one hopes with a very decisive victory, there will be an end to the fighting. What happens then in Gaza? Well, again, it said earlier, the goal should be twofold. One is to ensure that Hamas is eliminated and can't come back. Uh, the second would be to internationalize Gaza in some way. So it's no longer our problem. And make it abundantly clear that we, we are not in occupation of Gaza. We weren't in occupation of Gaza. And uh, it hopefully maybe an inter-Arab force. Um, you know, put some Arab armies in there. Let Hamas deal with, deal with Arab armies. See how they deal with Hamas. And uh, and with some international uh, investment, you know, it's interesting when 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 we had 21 settlements in Gaza, they were all ripped up in 2005. The people were dragged out uh, and evicted. Uh, but those settlements used to produce all of the organic vegetables for the state of Israel. It's pretty amazing. And that the, the the land of Gaza is fertile. Gaza traditionally, historically, was a breadbasket, uh, produced textiles. By the way, the word gauze in English comes from Gaza. Um, so it was very famous. It also, I also had an ancient Jewish community or ancient synagogues we found there. So uh, Gaza can be very different. We said it can be the Riviera of the, of the Mediterranean. It really could be, uh, but not under Hamas leadership. Hamas can be nothing but uh, a hellhole. I, I wrote a column that's gotten a lot of uh, attention about the Crazy Water Fun Park that was a water park uh, with water slides, the biggest water slides in the Middle East, apparently, that was built in Gaza. And uh, during its first year of operation, uh, 40 masked men came in in the middle of the night and destroyed it. And the assumption was because the government was in the process of closing it down. 
It was closed down because uh, it allowed men and women to mingle, which the term that was used in English. Uh, do you remember this episode? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. It, it's, you know, it's Hamas. I, I was in charge of the Gaza Strip for the government for about a year. And that year I learned more about Gaza, about the Middle East, than I learned in 20 years of university. And one thing, the, the, the pivotal thing I learned, the most basic thing I learned was that when it comes to Hamas in Gaza, everything you know about human decency, everything you know about civilization, you can throw it right out the window. The, uh, uh, the other headline that, that is alarming today is it says Hamas's hostage strategy extracting Israeli concessions then uh, suggesting that uh, Hamas is very deliberately manipulating these stories about hostages, including that story about some 50 hostages being killed in bombings. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think the government is capable of of basically saying, no, we will not allow the uh, hostages to be used as some kind of bargaining chip or some kind of propaganda tool? I hope so. Um, it's not easy. I've been meeting with families every day. I met with three families today. It is not heartbreaking. It's, it's soul-crushing, Michael. And, um, and some of these families have evidence that their loved ones are in captivity. Some have no evidence because they've disappeared. Um, soul crushing, and the government has to be able to take excruciating decisions—not hard decisions, excruciating decisions—and uh, and I don't envy them making those decisions. Very, very difficult. But I said, what Thomas's ultimate goal is to get a ceasefire imposed on us by the international community. They're working on it very hard. Every time they release a hostage, that those cries for a ceasefire go up. What's wrong with a ceasefire? People are going to die without a ceasefire. A ceasefire, Michael, for Israel. I can't put this in more succinctly. Ceasefire means death. Ceasefire means Hamas wins. Ceasefire means Hamas gets away with murder of 1,400 civilians. Ceasefire means we can't restore our, our deterrence power in the region where we're, we're exposed. Ceasefire means we can't restore the security of the people of Israel. They won't go back and settle in the south. No, we'll go home. I'm not sure they'll stay in Tel Aviv either. Ceasefire means we cannot begin to uh, to, re to sort of rebuild the, the 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 loss of faith that the people have in the state because the state let us down on that day. Um, we need to be able to finish this battle, and it's going to be a grueling, bitter battle. But we need to finish it. And uh, the uh, idea of a ceasefire is is more than a temporary delay. What? Uh, what what they want basically the people who are pushing a ceasefire surrender would you say that's correct well it'd be the equivalent of surrender i mean hamas will get hamas wins that's why they're pushing for a ceasefire and uh you know that the, the administration the administration is now talking about pauses not ceasefires i don't know if that's a you know a distinction without a difference because once you had a pause it, it, it was okay pause is over let's start shooting again it's, it's hard you've created a precedent and I think we cannot give up on pressuring Hamas. And uh, as horrible it may sound, it may seem, I, I think that probably have a better chance of getting the hostages out, not to negotiate. Want because he wants to use these he wants to he wants to use these hostages as human shields, but by by building the military pressure on them. Well, Michael Oren, his uh, most recent piece on Substack uh, is uh, Clarity on Israel, America, and the World. 
uh, it will be linked at michaelmedved.com. Uh, Michael, eager to speak to you again. Thank you for everything you do to get out the truth uh, in a very fraught and difficult time. College students, uh, Jewish college students, held prisoner in a library by Palestinian sympathizers. We'll tell you about where, New York City actually, and why, coming up on the Medved Show. On the Michael Medved show, uh, any hour where I'm able to welcome uh, both uh, Michael Oren uh, from Israel, former Israeli ambassador to the U.S., and Andy McCarthy of the National Review, two of the best guests anywhere. Uh, that's a very special uh, hour on the Medved show. Andy McCarthy is the senior fellow at National Review Institute. He's a contributing editor to National Review. He is a veteran and very successful U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, where he was a prosecutor of some evil terrorists of the past. Um, Andrew, Andy, I, I want to ask you, have you seen this coverage in National Review of uh, Jewish students who had to shelter in a locked library of uh, Peter uh, Union uh, College, Peter Union Institute. They, and, and this just happened. This was while protesters banged on the doors yelling free Palestine and globalized the Intifada from Gaza to New York while trying to break in. Uh, You've also written about this this uh, tendency of quote activists, pro-Palestinian activists, tearing down postages that express sympathy for and concern for some of the hostages. Uh, what is going on here in the United States? And of course, we want to defend First Amendment and freedom of speech. Uh, is there something that could and should be done on campuses to deal with some of these extremes? Yeah, Michael, thank you so much for mentioning that uh, coverage. I think uh, my colleague Charlie Cook wrote a great post today about the institutional indifference to the blatant acts of anti-Semitism that are occurring in New York and elsewhere around the country. And it wasn't until I read Charlie's piece that I that the New York Times reporting on this completely backed me up. Um, the Times writes, this is, I, and I can say this to you because I happen to be writing about this myself at the moment, but uh, the Times talks about this incident at Cooper Union, and they say um, there were pro-Palestinian protesters pounding on one side of the locked library doors and Jewish students on the other. So now, if you quickly read that, you would assume there was a door separating these two groups. And they're both pounding on it, right, as if they were trying to get at each other. And that's not at all what happened. This is, as you just mentioned, these kids were barricaded in the door, in the library, for their own protection against a mob of, well, I guess they're peaceful protesters, right, I guess because it's not January 6th. Um, but the, that's, what, that's what happened here. This was, this was violent intimidation. And uh, I, I've been trying to make the point that, you know, it's not enough 
for government officials, and I, I say this as a former federal government official, it's not enough for government officials to condemn this rhetorically and talk about how bad it is. They have the power under the civil rights laws to prosecute people who, uh, here's the words of the statute, injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person out of the free exercise of their federal rights, which includes the right to walk the streets and to you know, matriculate out of school and attend classes and the rest. I think at this point, you have to enforce these laws aggressively and make an example out of the people who were doing this. We, we of course, have free expression in our society, and we want to have robust political debate. But when you get to the point where you're inciting violence and intimidating people out of the enjoyment of their legal constitutional rights, that's when prosecutors have to step in. Uh, otherwise, we just lose the society. Boy, is that an important point. This also relates to a terrific column you, you wrote about one of my least favorite members of Congress, Jamal Bowman, who is one of the, uh, uh, quote, magnificent nine, the nine members of Congress who uh, voted in a very, very small minority, thank God, against a resolution backing Israel's struggle for survival. Uh, Jamal Bowman, you say, is uh, now notorious and celebrated for having uh, initiated a fire drill by pulling a fire alarm in the house, uh, in one of the house buildings. And uh, what you're suggesting about is it's two-tier justice when he is not prosecuted for a felony. Well, yes, if Democrats are prosecuting Democrats, it's only to protect them from prosecution. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think that the Biden Justice Department and its, uh, it, it, its kind of ancillary outfit that uh, uh, does local justice in uh, the District of Columbia, local law enforcement, uh, they only brought this case in order, you, you wonder why are they prosecuting him at all? They're, they're prosecuting him to the limited extent that they are in order to give him je double jeopardy protection in the event that the Republicans win the next election, take over the Justice Department and decide that we're going to go back to equal protection under the law and that he ought to be treated like the January 6th defendants, hundreds of whom have been accused of felony obstruction of a congressional proceeding, which is a potential 20-year criminal offense. He absolutely willfully uh, obstructed a congressional proceeding. Uh, that's the only sensible this explanation. This is by pulling a, fire, pulling a fire alarm. Right. And so what they've done is they've given him a, a plea deal where uh, basically – he pays a $1,000 fine so he can say for double jeopardy purposes that he's been punished. But this is going to be expunged in three months. It's not even going to be – it's not going to show up on his record as a criminal charge. But they want to give him something so that if there's a new Justice Department and they try to prosecute him, he can say he's already been prosecuted for this. And the dual sovereignty doctrine, which is a, an exception to double jeopardy in the states – so that if there's a state prosecution, that doesn't come in, that doesn't prevent the feds from coming in later uh, and prosecuting the same offense because they're different sovereigns. 
That's not how it works in Washington, D.C. The only sovereign in Washington is the federal government. So by doing this, they at least give him an argument when the next Justice Department comes in that he can't be prosecuted for what he did for a felony. Well, it, it is unreal. And this goes along at a time when there are threats from both sides about censure resolutions. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is trying to censure Rashida Tlaib, and the Democrats are saying that if there is this censure resolution against Tlaib, and they might throw in Jamal Bowman as well, they will uh, censure uh, Lorena Bobbitt and Marjorie Taylor Greene. I assume you agree that this is probably not the top priority for Congress at the moment. Oh, my God. Yes, I absolutely (laughs) agree with that. I also think, frankly, Michael, since Eric Holder was held in contempt, the first attorney general uh, to be held in contempt during the first term of the Obama administration, I think a lot of this contempt stuff and, and censure stuff has almost become it's not only theater now i think that the way our politics have become so tribal that when you're censured or held in contempt it's like a badge of honor that you you know you, you really put it to the other guy um and it's if it, 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 they're going to waste their time with this nonsense i mean look given what has gone on in the house for the last three weeks you, it's it's reasonable for people <laughs> to ask why we need these people anyway <laughs> but uh, it really is theater. Uh, do, uh, but a, a, an encouraging start, didn't you think, for Speaker of the House uh, Mike Johnson? Yeah, I thought he gave a very good speech. It, it, I think it doesn't um, – what people need to bear in mind is that um, it doesn't change the math. You know, I've read a lot about in the last couple of days about how he's the most conservative speaker, maybe era, but ever, but certainly in, in modern times. We'll see if he is or he isn't. But, um, you know, not how, however conservative he is doesn't change the fact that they have a four vote margin and that if they don't stick together, they can't get anything done. And if they continue the way they did with the eight member clown show that, that sent us on this three week uh expedition that we've just come off then you know all you're doing is showing people that we can't you know our side can't govern which is uh, not a good and positive message to send there are all kinds of good and positive messages though from andrew mccarthy his most recent columns are linked at our website go to michaelmedved.com when we come back more on the shootings in maine Uh, winning the message war and hostages used as political pawns. That and much more in this greatest nation on God's green earth. 